Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. I want to wish you a happy Easter. Can we give Jesus one more shout of praise today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. You realize Jesus rose from the grave, not just so that we could dress up and come together and celebrate on an Easter Sunday, uh, but he rose from the grave so that you and I could live a resurrected type of life. That through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he's given us the grace and the power in order to be able to bring the dead places in our life back to life. To bring light into those dark areas of our life. And I believe that today there are some of you that came into this church service and you were just expecting that it's Easter, that's what you do, you go to church. And I want to encourage you today because I believe God wants to meet with you personally today. That you are here on an appointment where God wants to extend his grace and his love to you and open your eyes to the Jesus who loves you so much that he died for your sins. So I want to look today into the scriptures, and I want to look uh, at a little bit of uh, what the Bible tells us took place in some of Jesus' life before he died on the cross for our sins, and then I want to pray over you today. So I'm going to go ahead and dive right into this book of John. This is um, John. It's his account of Jesus, and he starts writing about Jesus in verse 14. It says, the word became flesh. So this is talking about Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What an interesting statement that He's saying Jesus was full of grace and truth. He goes on in verse 15 and says, John testified concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Then he says, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only. Who is at the Father's side has made him known. So he's saying, no one has ever seen God, but but." The one at the Father's side. No one's seen God but Jesus. It's like, no one has seen Jesus, but if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. What a beautiful mystery. And then I also want to look at a couple verses before we pray this morning that, that are probably verses you haven't heard taught about much in church. Uh, but in John 2, it says this, 2.23, it says, talking about Jesus again. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at, Pas- at the Passover feast, Many people saw his miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about men, for he knew what was in a man. 
Before we dive into these passages, I want to just pray right now, and I want to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we come before you on Easter Sunday. We come before you because of what Jesus has done, and we pray right now that you would meet with us in this room. I believe you have a divine appointment for every one of us in this room right now. And I pray and I I ask in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, so that, God, we would have a better understanding of your love and your grace. Help us, God, see Jesus before we leave this place today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but this is something I I can say about myself. I wonder, do you find it more difficult to extend grace to people that you know really well? Like, I can tell you, people I don't know very well, uh, I guess I I give my grace out a little bit better. I'll give people the benefit of the doubt. You could come and introduce one of your friends to me, and and just automatically I will will assume the best about them. You can, in fact, I've had people introduce to me in the past, and they've, they've come out and they've said something really weird, or it was an awkward introduction, or they said something possibly even offensive, and I noticed that my tendency would be something along the lines of, oh, they probably didn't mean that. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, uh, I, I, I extend grace to them a little bit. But I've noticed that it seems like the more that I get to know someone, I get a little bit stingier with my grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like the, the more details I know about you, the, the longer I've known you, the more I know your struggles. It's like I, I tend to be a little stingier. I, I feel like actually probably some of the people that we have the most difficult time extending grace to would be our family members, Right? You have a family member it's hard to extend grace to? Are you sitting next to them right now? (laughs) Just look straight forward. (laughs) But it's like if someone comes up to you and says, Dan, I met your uncle. He's awesome. I'm like, "Uh, wait, my uncle? Yeah, he's so great. He's the passionate guy. He's awesome. I'm like, wait, what was his name now? Your Uncle John. Yeah, I met your Uncle John. My Uncle John. You think he's passionate and great? Yeah, he's so awesome. I just love him. like, you love him because you don't know him, right? If you knew my uncle, you would know he's crazy and you should stay away from him. Because if we know something about someone, we have a little more details about him. It seems like uh, the more truth I have about someone, I get a little stingier with my grace. That's why I believe that the relationship that a grandparent has with a grandchild, the perception a grandparent has with a grandchild is based off of ignorance. It's true. It's true, and maybe it's by choice. Maybe grandparents are choosing to stay ignorant because ignorance is bliss, right? But it's like I can remember my daughters are 13 and 11 now, but I can remember when they were younger, when they were like three and five years old. Omli and I, uh, we took them to Walmart one day, and this day stands out in my mind. Why we took a three-year-old to Walmart, I have no idea. (laughs) But it was one of those bluebird days and I remember we got out of the car and we're, we're walking, the birds are chirping, sun is out on our face, it's beautiful. But the doors open up and we walk into Walmart and it's like, when we finally come into the store, what do my kids do? They do the exact same thing your kids do. They lose their ever-loving minds, right? It's like they immediately begin screaming and running for the carts, and they've got two different carts, and they're fighting over who gets to push the cart, and then who gets to sit inside the cart, and they're banging it up against some old lady's foot, and, and the old lady's getting out of the way, jumping back, and they're screaming, and now Amelie and I are screaming at them, we're five feet in the store. 
And we're screaming at our kids, and now our kids have gotten in trouble. So they're crying about who gets to get in the car. We're yelling at our kids. Tears just running down their face. We're like, what are we doing here? But I guess that is how you fit in at Walmart. So uh, it kind of works out a little. I remember, though, like, this is how it starts. We, we start walking the aisles, and now... We're telling them, keep your hands in your pockets. Like, don't touch that. Stop doing it. Get over here. Let me just carry you for a minute. And we're getting so frustrated. We just want it to end so bad. And now they're throwing tantrums on the middle of the floor. Like, we are part of the Walmart family now. We are just, we're fitting in. You know, this has got to end. Finally, we're like, we're cutting our grocery shopping short. Let's get out to the car. We, we bought what we had. We got out to the car, and on the we put the girls in the car. We slammed the car doors, and we stand in the middle of the parking lot and just go, <sighs> yeah, don't judge me. Like, you've never locked your kids in the car before, too, for a little bit of peace. <laughs> Sit there, point the finger at me. We've all done it. But it's like we take this deep breath, like, what in the world was that? What have gotten into our kids right now? My phone rings. I answer it, and my, my dad's on the line. He goes, you guys want to go to lunch? We'll buy your lunch. I'm like, okay, we'll go to lunch. So we, we show up there, and Amelie and I are both a little angry still. Like, we're, we're fired up. Our kids are, like, red and blotchy, tears running down their face from getting in so much trouble in Walmart. And my parents walk up, and go, oh, there's our precious grandbabies. <laughs> precious? You just say precious because you just don't know. You want a Snickers bar, kiddo? They don't get any candy. Candy comes once a week, that's it. But what do grandparents do? They give them, they give them candy and then they give them back. And now we're driving home with kids who got a sugar buzz in the car and we started the whole thing over. A grandparent's relationship with their kid is based on ignorance because if you knew the truth, if you knew the truth, you wouldn't extend so much grace. You wouldn't extend so much love. I mean, if, if we're honest, it's, it's human nature, right? The more I know about someone, the harder it is to extend grace. The more details I have about you, the harder it is to be loving, to extend grace, to extend acceptance. But I think with this reality that we all struggle with, um, there's a flip side to it. There comes the side of going, I don't want everyone to know everything about me because if they know about me, if they know what's really going on inside me, if they know about the struggles, if they know about my secrets, if they know about these things, then they're not going to accept me anymore. They're not going to love me anymore. It's like, do you have different groups of friends that you hope never meet because you act different in different groups of friends? Like, I know that's an awkward question, but I wonder. It's like, because there's times, like, uh, I'll be in a restaurant eating chicken wings, and then some of my skinny friends come up, and I push the wings to the side, like, I don't know where these came from, right? Like, how weird that they must have just got our tables confused. It's strange. And like, there's five empty baskets here, Dan. What's going on? But it's like, I think, if you know the truth about me, like if my, if my judgy skinny friends find out that I don't exercise every day, they're just not going to accept me anymore. Or if, if you really know the struggles I've got going on, you're, you're just not going to accept me. So it's like we, we all have this, I guess, instinctive or basic understanding that it's like the more you seem to know about me, maybe the less I'm going to be accepted. And that's what's so interesting when we look at this verse in John chapter 1. 
verse 14, where it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, it doesn't say that he was graceful and he had some truth. It doesn't say he was a 50-50 split. He was like on the balancing act of sometimes being graceful, sometimes being truthful. But he was full, 100% full of grace and 100% full of truth. And that's really strange because I think what tends to be our tendency is when it comes to grace and truth, we lean towards one side or the other. We can tend to swing towards being the, the, the gracious person that says, oh, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, uh, they're probably just struggling like we are. Let's just leave them be and extend grace to them. And, but then there's also the people that swing towards the side of, I'm the truth guy. Someone's got to tell it how it is. You know, someone's got to let these kids know how it is these days. I don't know why the truth guy always pulls up his belt, but it's awkward and weird. <laughs> so on one hand, you got, you got, let's extend grace to them. And you've seen people who throughout their life really live over in that realm of just, well, let's just give them grace, give them grace, give them grace. But then we see people who live on the other side. Someone's got to bring the hammer. And if no one else will bring the hammer, I'll bring the hammer. And that's why, like, this, this weird balancing act that you and I deal with, it's so strange when we read about Jesus because we see that he didn't deal with a balancing act. In fact, the Bible says he was full of grace and full of truth. 100% grace and 100% truth. What does that mean to you and I? It means that God has full truth about you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows what you did as a kid. He knows the, the, the struggles that you're dealing with. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you're going to do in the future. He has full understanding about you. The God who created you knows you. And having 100% truth about you, what we know about Jesus is he extends 100% grace towards you. That he says, even though I know you're messed up, even though I know you struggle, even though I know there's things you're trying to hide from the world, things you're even trying to hide from me, I still extend grace to you. And we look at that and we say, wow, wow. I mean, I, I don't even know what to do with that. How, how, how do we handle that? Well, we're going to look back into the story because we see in Scripture here, the Bible says that Jesus knew what was in the man. It said John 2, 24 and 25, it says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need men's testimony about man, for he knew what was in the man. This is amazing to me, because he's saying, I, I know what's in the heart of a man. So to back up a little bit, what's taking place here is because of Jesus' miracles, because of his signs and his wonders, there's people falling around, seeing people get healed and raised from the dead, and things changing in people's life. People are going, I want that. I, I trust Jesus. And, and the Bible says, and Jesus had this falling around him, but Jesus, as much as he loved them, as much as he extended grace to them, uh, he didn't trust what was in the heart of a man. He wouldn't entrust himself to them because he knows that all of us, we have deceit in our heart. Well, he knows our motivations. He knows what we struggle with. He knows that we lie. He knows that we're selfish and we, we're trying to put ourselves first. And it's like he knows what's in a man. And then I feel like you could almost stop in Scripture and put the words for instance here. Because it, the, the, the writer here, John, is writing about Jesus' life and he's saying he knows what's in the man. And then he tells us a story about a man by the name of Nicodemus. It's like, Jesus knows the heart of a man. For instance, Nicodemus. And who is Nicodemus? We're about to read about a man who 
He was a Pharisee, just to give a little background about him. He, that meant he was part of a very strict religious sect. That were, They were all about the rules and regulations and laws. And they were very pious. They wanted to look like they had it better than everyone else. They wanted to dress up and look good uh, as they went to church so everyone thought they were clean. And so other people would think they were cl- clean. They would put more and more rules and regulations on themselves and on other people that they couldn't live up to and no one else could live up to so that people would think, wow, they're just on a different level than I am. They must be better than I am. And the truth about a Pharisee is though they would put other people to these different rules, they were liars because they weren't doing it themselves. So you got this man, he, he looks good on the outside. He looks like he's really got it together and he's judgmental. He's, he, he's, he, he, he looks down his nose at people saying, you're never going to be good enough to meet God until you live your life like I do. And he, he, he was messed up. But he had this front out there like I got it all together. And we see that this man who had this front out there, he's got it all together. It, he, we also recognize that he was a coward. Because the Bible says that Nicodemus was curious about Jesus and wanted to meet with Jesus and set up a meeting with him. But instead of doing what normal people do and setting up a meeting in the daytime, he decided, uh, if I set up a meeting in the daytime, my friends are going to find out about this and they're going to judge me. They're going to think I'm not as good as they are. So I don't want anyone to know about this, so I want to keep it in the dark. And he says, would you meet with me in the middle of the night? Ironically enough, Nicodemus is trying to investigate the light and he's trying to do it in the dark. So he says... Jesus, he sends people, Jesus, would you meet with me in the middle of the night? Would you meet with me in the dark? And, and well, why does he even have the right to ask this? I mean, obviously, he's, he's a high-ranking Pharisee. He had some clout. He, people knew who he was, so, so he sends this demand out there. Now, let me tell you, if I'm Jesus, then I, I, would, I would say, no, I would call him on, call him on this right now. You can't, you can't have it both ways, Nick. You can't live in the dark and investigate the light. I ain't going to have some secret meeting with you in the middle of the night because you're too coward to come out with the fact that you're a sinner and you need help. Like, I'm not going to do that, Nick. But, but what we see with Jesus, different than the way I would handle it. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. So Jesus sets up a meeting with Nick at night. <laughs> I waited for that one. I hoped it would work. So I know, we'll just move on. <laughs> he sets up this meeting with Nick at night, and in this meeting comes one of the most beautiful and powerful conversations we have in the Bible about God's love and grace. In fact, a lot of us know this verse. A lot of you uh, know where John 3.16, you've, you've seen it. You've seen it written on Tim Tebow's face, but long before it was a famous verse from football players uh, we recognize that this was a conversation that took place between, uh, between Jesus and this, this coward that was hiding, living a double lifestyle, had all of his secrets in the middle of the, di- middle of the night. And we see that the conversation starts off John 3, 2. It says, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. And let's jump down to verse 16. And Jesus you know, having full knowledge of what he's doing. He was, he was 100% full of truth. He, he knew what Nick was doing. It's not like he's being played here. He knows, here, here this guy is trying to have it both ways. He, he wants to secretly know 
what's going on with me, but he wants to keep all of his life a secret to himself and to everyone else. Jesus says, I'll meet with them. And in the middle of the night, in the darkness, Jesus says the words that are recorded in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, Nick, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, Nick, but to save the world through him. And Jesus continues on and begins to offer the full gospel message about the fact that Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the price for Nick's sins and for my sins and for your sins because we need rescuing. We need forgiveness of our sins so that we can have a relationship with our God. And he goes on full of grace and truth. And he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light. Jesus is talking about himself now. The light of the world. Light has come into the world. As he's talking to Nick in the middle of the dark, he's saying light has come into the world. Nick, hint, hint, this is about you. This is about you trying to live in darkness to try to hide what's really going on. But men love darkness. Nick, can you believe that? Instead of light, because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. He will not come into the light for fear of his, that his deeds will be exposed, Nick. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. See, I've seen people take this verse and try to beat people up with it. They say things like, see, the problem is you're living in the darkness, and you can't, you can't live in the darkness and investigate the light. You can't do this. I, I've seen people try to beat people up with this passage, but that's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is saying, Nick, I know what you're up to. I know that you've got this side of you that, that, that you're curious about me. You're, you know you need forgiveness. You know you need a Savior, but you, you're trying to front this attitude like you got it all together. I know what you're doing, Nick, and you got to understand that even with me understanding how messed up that is, I am extending grace and love to you. That I forgive you and I love you. I, I know the nitty-gritty that no one else knows about, and I, I'm extending my love and my grace to you. And we know that this encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus is, is powerful and it changes him. How could it be that someone would know everything about me and yet still love me? And it's so powerful that we see that he shows up again in Scripture. Because that's the end of the conversation here in John 3. But in John 19, Nicodemus shows back up at the burial of Jesus. With Joseph of Arimathea, he's, he's taking part at the tomb of the burial of Jesus. This shows us that something stuck because his life was changed. Nicodemus came to meet the God who already knew him, and his life was changed in such a way where, where, where it transformed him. And he was there all the way in the end of what Jesus was doing for mankind. See, we serve a God who's full of grace even when he's full of the truth about your life and mine. It's interesting because the Bible shows us that the very next um, story that comes up is a story called the woman at the well. The Bible said Jesus had to go through Samaria, and it's kind of strange that the Bible said that because no Jew had to go through Samaria. 
There was a lot of racial tensions between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, we, we see that the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that they would go out of their way to travel around Samaria and not even step foot in there. There were people that add 60 miles to their journey on foot traveling just so they wouldn't even have to go near Samaritans. And the Bible says that Jesus had to go there. Why would he have to go there? Well, he, he went there to show us something about his grace and his truth and his love for you and I. Because we see what happened is he went to a well in the middle of the day. Now, a well was not a popular place in the middle of the day. In fact, people went and got water in the morning time or they'd get it in the evening when it was cool because it was hard work dragging that water out. And, and it was in the middle of the day when people were off working, doing other stuff. So he was there alone at the well in the middle of the day and apparently he had an appointment. Because this unsuspecting woman shows up at the well, a Samaritan woman. And, and, and think of how this would have been because Jesus sent his disciples off to go into the, the town and get some food. And this woman is coming in the middle of the day. We know she's coming there because she had something that she was trying to hide. Like if the people know the truth about me, they're not going to accept me. And I'm so sick uh, of the people who have rejected me. So I don't want to be here and be gossiped about in the morning. I don't want to come back in the evening where people are pointing their fingers and judging me. So I'm going to find a way to stay away from people. And she comes to the well in the middle of the day expecting to not run into anyone. And instead she runs into a man. And not just a man, a Jew. So you can imagine her. Her quills would have been up like, how is this going to go? Great, here we go. She goes over to the well and, and Jesus starts talking to her. He says, woman, would you get me a drink? And you can read this in, in John 4 here. She, she kind of responds, what? Like, excuse me, I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. Are you, are you, are you kidding me? Like, how am I supposed to get you water? Like, you don't even have a bucket. Like, why are you asking this of me? And Jesus comes back and says, hey, um, what, what you need to understand is that if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the grace that, that I am your creator and I know everything about you, you would be asking me for a drink because the water I would give you would cause you to never thirst again. How do you like them apples? I added the last part about the apples. <laughs> you never thirst again. And immediately she goes to this like, the natural realm, thinking, well, that's great. If, if I'm not thirsty, I don't have to come back here to this well where I'm going to be judged anymore and where people have found out the junk in my life. Uh, so I, I'd like to be able to just stay in hiding myself. So that's great. Give me some of this water so I don't have to come back here anymore. And then Jesus says, okay. You know, maybe like this is getting a little awkward. A man, a woman standing there talking to you. He goes, why don't you go get your husband? He says, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus now starts speaking into the part of her that, that she was trying to hide. The part that she thought she had covered up from God. He starts saying to her, I know what's going on. You're right when you say you don't have a husband because you've had five. And in fact, those five failed marriages that are in the past now are, are being eclipsed by the fact that you're living with someone. You're shacked up with a boyfriend right now. You're not even married to him. It's like you've had a lot of dudes. And, and she's like, whoa. You must be a prophet or something, <laughs> you think, <laughs> you know? 
Like, how, how do you know all this stuff about me? You, I don't know you. This is all secret. This is the stuff I keep hidden. This is the stuff I keep in the dark. How do you even know these things about me? This was the stuff I'm trying to hide because when people find out this junk about me, this is the exact thing no one can handle, and this is why I'm alone. This is why I'm struggling right now. So she changes the subject. She's, uh, uh, wait, um... You Jews say we're supposed to worship over here, and we Samaritans say we were supposed to worship over here. Uh, what, what do you say about that? And if I'm Jesus, I say, oh, no, no, no. you got to call her on this. Hold on a minute. Like, here, Jesus is trying to talk about what's going on on the inside, that what she's really dealing with, her real struggles. And she comes back with an issue. She said, no, no, let's talk about issues. Let's, let's talk about uh, wh- why do Jews think this? Why is there this political thing going on? Why do bad things happen in the world? I want to talk about one of the issues. Isn't it interesting how when God starts trying to deal with us on something personal, for many of us, our defense mechanism is we start to say, well, look what's happening in the world. Look what's happening over here. Why would God let this happen? Why would God let that happen? And that's where I'd be like, you can't do that. Like, we're trying to talk about you right now. We're trying to talk about what's going on with you. There's a lot of tension here, but we see Jesus being full of grace and full of truth. He says, okay, if you want to talk about worship, we'll talk about worship. So there's a time coming, it's already come, where true worshipers will worship the God in spirit and in truth. He's saying it doesn't matter where you worship, it matters how you worship. And God is seeking those, since he is spirit, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Some of the most beautiful writings and passages that we find in all of scripture about worship are here in this conversation with this woman. And the conversation wasn't even about worship. It was a a desperate housewife's ploy to get the the picture off of her, to get the light off of of me and and my mess. She said, let's talk about something else. So Jesus answers her. She comes back, well, whatever. The Messiah is going to come and he will work all this out. So we know there, she didn't want to talk about worship. She's just saying, there's things in my life I'm trying to hide from you. There's things in my life I'm trying to hide from God. There's things in my life I'm trying to hide from everybody else. And then Jesus comes and he lays it down and says, that Messiah that you speak about, the Son of God, the one who created the whole world has come into it. And I'm speaking to you right now. It's me. And this woman, she's blown away. She's trying to hide all this stuff from the one who created her. Like, he won't love me. He'll judge me. He'll condemn me. He won't extend grace to me if he knows what's true about me. And wait a minute, he already knows everything about me. I think what's so beautiful about this passage is the Bible then says that she she runs off and she goes into the city and what she proclaims is, you've got to come meet a man who knows everything about me. And the Bible says lots of people came to know Jesus and got saved and forgiven. And she was shocked. You, you're not going to believe this, but there's someone who knows everything about me and he still loves me. Someone who knows everything I've ever done, knows my struggles, knows what's going on with me, and and he still extends grace. The whole world has rejected me, and I've been trying to do everything I can to cover up my sins so someone would love and accept me and hear God himself knows the very things I'm trying to hide. What kind of love is it? 
that, that he would know what I'm trying to hide, that I'm sitting here lying to him, struggling with him, arguing with him, deflecting from him. Jesus, being full of grace and truth, knows this about the woman. He's about to go to the cross for her, and he knows she's, she's being deceptive. He knows she's hiding things. What kind of love is it? That your God knows everything about you. And he still loves you. I get a sense that there's people in this room right now that you can relate to this story because you've lived your life this way. You've lived your life thinking, it, I, there's a part of me that is not acceptable. There's a part of me that like, if I can just get myself cleaned up, then maybe I could pursue a relationship with God. If I could get this junk out of my life, then maybe God would love me. If I, if I could just get this area right, then somehow I'm going to be okay with God. But what God is showing us here, what Jesus is showing us, is that you are messed up and he still loves you. That you have sinned and he still extends grace and forgiveness to you. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. We celebrate the fact that Jesus went to the cross to pay the very price of the sins that you and I are trying to hide. To pay the price for the punishment that you and I deserve for the type of lifestyle that we're keeping in the dark. And maybe you've been, been trying to investigate Jesus but keeping your whole life in the dark because you think, I'm not good enough. And we celebrate on Easter that Jesus died for those sins. And he rose again and he conquered death, hell, and the grave so that you and I could come into an intimate relationship with him so that we could be forgiven. See, Jesus' work on the cross, his redemptive work on the cross causes us to look at the truth about our circumstances differently, the truth about our life differently, because the world looks at the truth about your life is just the facts of what's happened so far. The facts that you've messed up, that you've got some junk in your life, what, where you are now. But what we see with Jesus is Jesus doesn't just look at who we are and who we've been, but he looks at who we're going to be. He looks at who he's created us to be. Man, what would it be like if we could look at other people with the type of grace and love that our Savior looks at them? We go, you know what? I know you've got some struggles. I know you got some dirt in your life. I know you got some junk. But I also know what I'm doing with you. I know where God is taking me. I know where he's, where he's going to bless me. And I'm working on that angle of your life. I'm working on moving you forward. See, your Savior loves you, and he, he looks at your future. It's like what we see when Jesus was dealing with this woman at the well, he was dealing with a woman who her past was full of, full of adultery. Yet her present was full of a mistake, but her future was full of grace and understanding. And she went out, and so many of her friends got saved as a result of it. We see Nicodemus, whose life was in the dark. He was, he was judgmental. He was a liar. He, he condemned other people. And then yet we see that his future was that he was going to be there at the end, worshiping Jesus all through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's like the Apostle Paul started off as Saul. Would have been someone, any one of us in this room, would have been real easy to hate him. You know, he was a murderer. He murdered people who loved Jesus. And yet God didn't just see where he was. He spoke into Paul's life about who he was going to be. And because Paul 
and Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman because they all experience the type of grace that says, I don't care as much about your past as much as I care about where I'm taking you. I love you anyways. They were able to come to a point to where Paul then is going, by the grace of God, he's made me who I am and he's doing great things in me. And now Paul goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament that you and I study to understand more about Jesus. Why? All because they met the God who knew them and loved them. So I want to ask you, if you would, this morning to bow your heads and close your eyes. And There's no one looking around. I get a sense that there are many people in this room that you've been trying to investigate the light and remain in the darkness. That there's been a part of you that's been saying, if I, if I could just get my act together, then I would be acceptable. If I could just... If I could just clean this sin up, if I could just get off the internet, if I could just get rid of that relationship at work, if I could get rid of that thing, if I could just get it under control, then I would be acceptable. And I'm here to tell you today that the the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks so clearly to you that you are loved and accepted exactly where you are. Now, through his grace, he can take you out of where you are. And it might be a mess. But Jesus wants to take you out of the mess that you're in and move you towards a future with him. So right now, I'm about to pray a prayer. In this prayer, I'm going to ask people to join me in. But this isn't just a cute Sunday morning prayer or an Easter service prayer. This is a prayer for people in this room who would say, you know what? I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need to stop trying to hide things from the God who created me, but I need to just be honest and tell him I'm a sinner and I need him. I need help from him. And and here in a moment, we're going to pray this prayer. And maybe you've never made Jesus the center of your life before. You never made him your Lord. Or maybe you're here and you'd say, I once had a relationship with Jesus, but man, I've gotten far away. Wherever you are, I want you to know you have the opportunity right now to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers you. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us in this room, we have junk, we've sinned, we've missed the mark. And then it says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Every one of us deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve separation from God. But the free gift of God is that we would have eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your mouth that you confess and are justified and it is with your heart that you believe and are saved. When we put our trust, we put our faith in the name of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, he shows us that this love that is extended out to us is given to us freely. We don't have to work harder to receive it. We don't have to do anything extra but trust and believe in him. And what we get from that is a personal relationship with the God who created us, a home forever in heaven. A life that's changed and directed and that is based off of what he, where he's taking us, not where we've been. So I want to pray right now and I want to ask every person in this room to just pray this prayer with me. Repeat this prayer after me right now. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. I ask you today to forgive me of my sins and give me a home forever in heaven. 
Jesus, I make you the center of my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose again to give me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, with no one looking around still, no one looking around, I just want to ask you, um, if you prayed that prayer for the first time on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands as a confession of your faith, as a confession of the fact that you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord. So if you've never prayed this prayer before, no one's looking around, just me, so I can celebrate with you. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. Now, one... Jesus loves you so much. Two, your life is forever changed today. Three, put your hand in the air if you prayed that prayer for the first time. Praise God. Look at those hands. Okay, people, I want to ask you, those of you that just put your hands up, uh, our whole church is going to look up right now. I know there are many of you in the room. We want to celebrate with you. We're a room full of people who put our trust in Jesus. If you did that for the first time, put your hand back up in the air. Put it up high so we can celebrate with you guys. Congratulations. Congratulations, man. Praise God. Doesn't mean we don't have junk in our life. It means our God who loves us, accepts us, forgives us, and wants to move us forward from today. So what I want to do now is I want to ask everyone to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask our prayer counselors to come forward and and fill up the altar across the front. Um, I just want to pray for you that God's grace would be evident in your life, that you would just understand what this day is all about as we leave here today, that we'd go into the world knowing God's love for us. And you'll see these men and women that are coming down front right now. Uh, we're gonna do a dismissal of the service because I don't wanna embarrass anyone. Uh, but for those of you that just raised your hand, I'm calling two groups here. For those of you that just raised your hand and said you accepted Jesus in your life for the first time today, we have some stuff we'd like to give you. These blue bags here, um, it's, it's a packet of information that tells you how to start off your relationship with God. It gives you wonderful information. We'd also love the opportunity to pray with you. So um, when I dismiss here after this prayer, if you raise your hand that you just prayed and asked Jesus to forgive your sins the first time, come down front, talk to us for a brief moment before you leave so we can give you a gift. And then if you have anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, um, healing, if you've got some sort of struggle, some sort of issue going on in your life, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you as well. Any one of these men and women down front are available for that. Let me pray over you before we go today. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. You see a room full of sinners here. But God, we recognize now that though we're sinners, though we're messed up, we're accepted because of your love and your grace. Thank you for what Easter is. Thank you for Resurrection Sunday and that we get to live in power and grace and mercy because of you, because of how great you are. So help us, God, as we leave here. Give us confidence and boldness, the faith to receive your free gift of salvation. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's give them one more great shout of praise. I love you guys. Have a wonderful Easter. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord. 
that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.